edition of With All Due Respect. Strong opinions on politics, life, and entertainment. Welcome to another episode of With All Due Respect, the podcast that believes the devil is in the details, but so is the salvation, friends. Can I get an amen? Amen. Greetings. I am Andrew Halcrow, your host for this podcast. With me, as always, is my main man and my chief collaborator, Mr. Van Sanders. Mr. Sanders, the category today is catchphrases. Please name the most popular catchphrase of 1999. What the... What's up? All right. I think we should leave that 20 years in the rearview mirror, shall we? As always, I'd like to thank the Anchorage Daily News for hosting this podcast on their platform and remind listeners that the very strong opinions you hear on this podcast are mine and mine alone and in no way, shape, or form represent the opinions of the Anchorage Daily News or their employees. Today on With All Due Respect, in politics, it's been a tough week for both the governor and the mayor, but it's been a great week for both democracy and the system of checks and balance. We'll discuss why the Alaska Supreme Court and the Anchorage Assembly have cooled the jets of these two politicians. In entertainment, if you're a Frank Sinatra fan like the podcast is, we have some good news and some bad news. The good news is we review the unauthorized biography of the singer. The bad news is Frank Sinatra was not a very nice human being. And in closing comments, our noir detective turns to explain how 13 years ago this week, he broke the Troopergate story and went on to have national implications. All of this in under 15 minutes. But first, you know the deal. Let's talk some politics. Politics. And now, for some politics. Politics. All right, let's talk some politics. First, let's start at City Hall. Last week, Mayor Bronson introduced his much-awaited homeless shelter proposal. Now, I want to break down this quick topic into three bits. I want to talk about what happened, why it happened, and finally, and most importantly, how the hell this could have happened to begin with. First, what happened? Last week, Mayor Bronson submitted a proposal to build a $15 million structure to address Anchorage's pressing homelessness problem. This has been anticipated for a while. The problem with Bronson's proposal, well, was everything. First, the initial design didn't even include beds and bathrooms, which was a $7 million add-on, which made the cost of the facility not $15 million, but $22 million before the Assembly even considered it. When the proposal came up on the agenda, both conservative assembly members supported killing it. In fact, the plan didn't even have two votes for introduction, not even two votes. Assemblymember Crystal Kennedy, who herself explained, hey, I'm a conservative, but I can't support this because she never saw the cost ending. This was an open-ended bill for taxpayers that Mayor Bronson put on the table. As a result, Mayor Bronson's much-awaited homeless shelter solution died a quick and painless death. So why did the mayor's plan fail so miserably? Well, just days before the assembly gave Bronson's plan the leave the gun, take the cannoli treatment, Bronson's new homeless coordinator, John Morris, told an Anchorage Daily News reporter, quote, we need to light a fire under some of this stuff, he said. Way too much thinking about it. We need to build it. 
In response, the Bronson-Morris plan didn't do enough thinking or enough planning. The entire proposal was rushed, poorly thought out, really fatally flawed. You name it, his proposal was it. First, the $15 million initial tag didn't include beds or bathrooms. That added $7 million. But still, the cost didn't account for permitting or design costs. The cost didn't truly account for infrastructure like sewer and water. The cost didn't anticipate the issues of wetlands or other environmental concerns. And finally, there were so many caveats in the proposal for developers. This $22 million project could have easily reached $40, $45 million easy with change orders. This was an incredibly poorly thought out plan. This was literally a blank check and local taxpayers would have been paying the tab. So how was this proposal allowed to be introduced? I mean, a proposal that was so fatally flawed from the moment you introduced it that you could not get even two of your own supporters to just simply wave at it. I mean, that's bad. So how in the world did this proposal make it past all of the gatekeepers of City Hall? First, let's start with the city attorney's office. How did they approve a legal document riddled with so many holes and caveats that would expose taxpayers endlessly? Then let's go to the city's chief financial officer. How did he approve a legal document that would have subjected local taxpayers to open-ended project costs and the inability to really contain and budget for this project? How did this happen? But more alarmingly, how did this make it past the new Anchorage city manager, Amy Domboski? I mean, Domboski sat on the assembly during the SAP debacle under the previous conservative mayor. Do we all remember that? Remember how the city rushed into an agreement saying, ah, oh, it's going to be between 9 and $15 million, and four years later it was like $80 million? I mean, this is a serious question. How in the world did Amy Domboski not hold that proposal in her hand, read it once, and say, all right, man, this is another SAP coming right at us? How did that not happen? How with the city attorney, the city CFO, the city manager, the chief of staff, how is it possible that with four gatekeepers, a proposal so riddled with holes, so riddled with liability, so riddled with cost exposure, made it out the front door of City Hall? How is that possible? While it's clear the Bronson administration has passion and clearly a sense of urgency, it's also clear that they are over their heads and they need to start collaborating more closely with the Assembly. I mean, this stumble out of the gate from the Bronson administration, sure, I know they've been on the job for less than 30 days, but the fact is this was a big deal. And there were a lot of checks and balances in place internally that should have caught this and flagged these issues before it was run up the flagpole to the assembly. There is simply no way Mayor Bronson's proposal should have made it out the doors of City Hall. His entire legal, finance, and administration team failed miserably, and the taxpayers were graciously saved by the Anchorage Assembly. Now, I hope this is an opportunity for the Bronson administration to realize that they need to work with the assembly and not try and do this heavy lift on their own. All right, changing to state politics. This week was a bad week for Governor Mike Dunleavy. First, the Alaska Supreme Court smacked the governor's hand twice. Alaska's high court ruled that Governor Dunleavy's vetoes in cutting court funding because he didn't like their decisions were unconstitutional because it violates the separation of powers. I I have no idea why Governor Dunleavy has such a hard time understanding the concept of three separate but equal branches of government. I mean, for God's sakes, it's how the country was formed. How can somebody preach about the Constitution and the founding fathers and not know what the hell they did? Moving on. Second hand slap from the high court came when they ruled that the recall campaign against Governor Dunleavy could continue, ruling that it's not the court's role to interpret public opinion just to ensure that the process is fair and legal and the recall process is fair and legal. If it wasn't enough getting your hand slapped by the Alaska Supreme Court twice, 
This past week, CNBC ran a story headlined about how Alaska's economy is in hardcore survival mode, and once again, Alaska ranks as America's worst state for business in 2021. This is not new. This is actually the sixth time in 14 years that Alaska has finished last in the CNBC annual top states for business study. Ladies and gentlemen, personally, I am tired of seeing this report card and reading the same story. Which, ironically, is the same thing my mother used to tell me when I was at Lake Otis Elementary School. I am tired of seeing the same report card and tired of hearing the same story. So, last January, during the State of the State Address, Governor Mike Dunleavy announced that he was going to go out and attract the pharmaceutical industry to Alaska. All right, now that sounds like a cool idea, right? But if you're a pharmaceutical company, you have options. You can relocate to anywhere in the world, anywhere in the country. You have a choice right? So what does Alaska offer? Hey, we're business friendly, right? We want you to come here. We get a B in business friendly. But if you're a pharmaceutical company, again, what else are you looking for? You're looking for technology and innovation. Alaska scored a D minus. You're looking for education. Alaska scored an F. You're looking for infrastructure. Alaska scored a D minus. Looking for access to capital. Alaska scored an F. And you're looking for the cost of doing business. Again, Alaska scores an F. So when you hear policymakers talk about growing the economy, the fact is we as Alaskans have a hell of a lot of work to do to improve our economy, our education system, and all of these components before we can really go out and aggressively compete in the marketplace. And instead, today, we have a governor who's more interested in arguing about how much free cash we're going to send out instead of how we're going to grow the economy, grow our state, and improve our grades. Ladies and gentlemen, the bottom line is Alaska needs to start investing in itself, but we can't even begin those conversations until we elect a governor who understands that just saying you're business-friendly doesn't make you business-friendly. Being business-friendly means investing in roads, in education, in communities. That's what business-friendly is. But don't don't take my word for it. Take the word of CNBC, who for the sixth time in the last 14 years has ranked Alaska as the worst state to do business in. And now, entertainment. Entertainment. All right, let's talk some entertainment. We have done at least a half dozen book reviews on this podcast, and this one is going to be a little different. This one's going to come with a warning to proceed with caution. Alan Carr, a highly awarded American producer and stage manager, once said, you should never meet your heroes. And now I would add to that, you should never read unauthorized biographies of your heroes as well. One of my lifetime idols has been Frank Sinatra. Just love the music, the vibe, the whole Rat Pat thing, right? So, since I was tired of reading just normal biographies, I opted for the unauthorized biography of Frank Sinatra. And ladies and gentlemen, as a result, I will never be able to listen to Frank Sinatra the same way again. This book is a stunning expose of the real Sinatra. It explores his career, his relationships, and how he simply wasn't a very good human being. This book, of course, never lacked controversy. Sinatra sued to keep the book from being published but failed. I will tell you that it is a riveting book that takes you back through the career of one of America's greatest entertainers, but it also will shatter any romantic illusions you have about Sinatra, his character, or his golden days. The book is called His Way, the unauthorized biography of Frank Sinatra. It's written by Kitty Kelly. It checks in at 574 pages. But trust me, you will never be able to listen to Frank Sinatra's music the same way again after reading this book. A With All Due Respect Noir Production. Wednesday morning, July 16, 2008. 
I remember it well. I was in my office working on a big case. A few days earlier, a former lawman named Monaghan, Walt Monaghan, was silenced by the high pillows, run out of town, cut loose, dismissed as commissioner of the Department of Public Safety. Something didn't sit right with me. Monaghan was a good egg, a damn good copper. I had met Monaghan a few years earlier. He and I did a three-week stretch back east at some Ivy League school. But let me tell you, he wasn't no fancy boy. 100% old school copper. Initially, the word on the street was budget differences between he and the governor, but I didn't buy it. In my line of work, baby, usually the first word is not the last word, so I kept digging. Then everything changed. My phone rang. The unfamiliar voice on the other end said, Hey, you the guy asking questions about Monaghan? I said, maybe. The voice replied, call Trooper Mike Wooten. He has some things to say. Gave me a number before hanging up without ever identifying himself. I stared at the phone, stared at Wooten's number, wondering if I should even bother. But I'm a detective, baby. That's what I do. I bother. I called the number. We spoke in hushed tones for 30 minutes, and I was intrigued. But... In my business, baby, it's not uncommon for mugs to try and throw you off the trail. So I called some of my sources to get the skinny on Wooten. Was this guy a straight shooter, or was I headed down a rabbit trail? My people told me he was legit. So hours after our first phone call, there I sat in a dark corner of the bar at the Sheraton Hotel with Mike Wooten, nursing a club soda in lime and listening to Wooten's tale of woe. Wooten was the governor's former brother-in-law, a state trooper who had a target on his back by the governor and her husband. While he spoke, I went through dozens of Wooten's documents, court transcripts, personnel files, his trooper investigation files, all while questioning everything. In my line of work, you do, you question everything. After four hours, I'd heard and read enough. It was clear, Wooten, for all his faults, was telling the truth. Monaghan was fired as commissioner of public safety because he wouldn't fire an officer the governor wanted to fire, period. Look, pal, I said to Wooten, There are going to be questions, you see. As soon as I put this on the interweb, there's going to be trouble. Reporters, lawyers, neighbors, friends are all going to demand answers. Wooten said his people were ready. The table was set. The die was cast. Wasn't quite sure what that last one was about, but the table was set anyways. As I grabbed the stack of files off the table and tucked them under my arm, I turned to Mike Wooten and said, Kid, if I end up running with this story, you better be ready for a hellstorm. The next several hours, I thumbed through those documents, pieced together history, and at 1 a.m. on the morning of July 17, 2008, I hit the publish button and the world was to be introduced to what would become Troopergate. By 8 a.m., I had a dozen messages from the media. I returned none of them. I had done my job. The case was closed. There was nothing more to say. The whole Troopergate saga blew up from there, but my work was done. And to be honest with you, I was just glad to play my little part in history, sweetheart. Alright ladies and gentlemen, there is the music and you know what that means, our time is up. Remember, podcasts are new on Tuesdays and Thursdays. You can subscribe to them on your favorite platforms, or of course, always check them out on the Anchorage Daily News website. Van, how about those website details? Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, if you visit abodabobrand.com, that's A-B-O-D-A-B-O-B-R-A-N-D.com, you can see a little bit more about what I do and uh, touch base with me. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is our time, and we thank you for yours.